good afternoon, everyone, and a special shout out to those of you visiting from out of town. My name is Melinda Jacobs, and today I'll be talking about adapting lean into intercultural environments. Internationalization and globalization are growing areas of practice, but they're not yet incorporated into our methodologies. And this is something of great personal importance to me, because I've lived and worked in Canada, the US, Europe, and throughout Southeast Asia. And a large part of my work as a researcher, a social entrepreneur, and a tech entrepreneur has been noticing how different each of these environments is. And I've seen this area of practice emerge throughout my work. I look at systems and strategies to solve complex problems, and often I call this work deeply unsexy. By unsexy, I mean that it focuses on problems that matter greatly, but are often hard to see. My company, Lucent Sky, builds application security testing software. We work like spell check for the most common security issues. I started the business while living in Southeast Asia, and I started applying methods like lean by the book, and I realized that I was tailoring them a lot to suit the variance environment I was working in. What was working in one place wasn't working in another, and I needed to, needed to be both selective and adaptive in how I applied lean. There was a gap between the work I was doing and best practices, and the nuances and intricacies of these differences were more informative than the similarities between the regions and the stakeholders I was working with. What I've learned is that cultural insight is a tool we can use to adapt lean. And like any simple insight, this is much easier in theory than in practice. The devil is often in the details, and those details will matter greatly. Today, I hope to convey to you why cultural insight is valuable to your practice of lean, to help you recognize moments when we can see cultural characteristics that are informative to the way we work with customers, and to share cultural adaptation strategies that we can apply to our practices. When considering this question, I realize that we talk a lot about company culture. Company culture is explicit. We have norms and standards of communication, and these help us build trust and operate as effective teams. However, we don't talk a lot about how culture impacts how and where we do business. When we leave our teams and firms, Culture is intricate, it's nuanced, it's below the surface, and it's often hard to talk about. In our modern internet-enabled economy, it's easy to do business anywhere. We need to adapt our methods to conduct business everywhere. This dichotomy between the ease of doing business online and different cultures that exist worldwide and our familiarity with practices like Lean can make us think that customers want to access goods and services in the same ways. And this is difficult for two reasons. Not all users are the same. They do want to access these goods and services differently. And our methods were born in one context. At face value, things like lean are predicated on American business culture. And when we leave these, our home contexts, things like communication, conceptions of hierarchy, and the treatment and socialization of failure vary greatly. I sell enterprise security software, and I bet you can imagine failure socialized very differently in my work environment. Adapting lean is hard because culture is not a discrete component of the process, and it's also relevant to every role. Culture is pervasive, yet we often define ourselves by our roles. We see the world as designers, as engineers, as salespeople, and as marketers. And the common values within these groups are helpful, because the differences actually help us discuss differences in our perspectives and our priorities. However, culture is a lot harder because it runs across these roles, and we all carry it with us. So understanding culture is actually as valuable as any other expertise. And we, we implicitly know this because we prize people who've worked internationally as if they have this special skill that they've learned in the, these environments, and they have. They can exist in many worlds. They can often give light 
to concepts and to behaviors that we might not otherwise see. But this is actually a skill we can build because we can validate cultural assumptions like anything else in Lean. So there are moments when we can see this cultural difference. And I want to help us understand these moments so that we can move forward with confidence. So we're going to talk about cultural adaptation strategies related to feedback, building trust, and reaching your customer. And I chose these examples because they're high stakes. We often rely on doing them well. They're also focal points for failure, not just for companies here looking to do business globally, but for global businesses looking to break into the American market. Very famously, there was a British uh, grocery chain called Tesco that tried to move into the US. They had lots of data that told them Americans wanted one-stop shopping. When they got to the US, all of their customer feedback was to the contrary. It actually turns out that in this cultural environment, uh, shopping is a social sport. We enjoy making multiple stops. We also enjoy kitschy things like at Trader Joe's when we can buy a Hawaiian shirt at the door. Um, their data was all to the contrary of this. It wasn't until they were in the local market that they were able to adapt to that feedback. So I think it matters for all of us to understand how these dynamics play out within our businesses. So feedback, that's interesting. How many of you have said or heard that in a meeting? I work a lot with colleagues abroad, and it's a phrase I use very often. At one point, one of them pushed pause in a meeting and said, Melinda, you say that's interesting, and I don't know if you mean good or bad. I was relying on their interpretation or for them to understand what I said next, but actually I was just creating an assumption. I was conditioning what they were saying, and it wasn't creating any clarity at all. So I've noticed that that's interesting is actually only as available only as valuable as the information that follows it. And if we can't be clear with that information, we might be better served just to eliminate those words. Saying and understanding no. I've noticed that here we think we're very direct with feedback. What I've noticed is that we're very direct with positive feedback and very indirect with negative feedback. What that means is we're very good at sensing enthusiasm and, and hearing yes, but it's harder to hear no. And when we leave this cultural environment, there are places where no is expressed very freely, but enthusiasm is hard to gain. That can make it really difficult to hear signals from our customers. So we need to teach ourselves to hear and understand yes and no in the different environments we work in. Embracing learning curves. I think when you move to multiple markets, you'll, you'll think you're getting the hang of it, that you've cracked the code. And it turns out the code is very different in many places, particularly around communication. So for example, when you're in a new environment, you might say, oh, what were the, the tips or the tricks that have helped me succeed in others? And we'll start using things like analogies. Analogies are actually not very helpful. I was in an event recently where we were talking about industry incumbents, and someone mentioned 800-pound gorillas. This got translated as a very large animal simultaneously in seven languages. That did not create clarity in feedback or in communication. So we need to be careful to not bring our cultural assumptions with us as we move abroad. My strategy here is to give permission to be wrong, for ourselves to be wrong, to prove that we're fallible. I think showing vulnerability can be a great tool in building openness and creating trust. And it can also move us outside of conceptions of hierarchy. I think that's a valuable trait in most environments, but particularly uh, in hierarchy-oriented cultures, I think that's a very important one to establish very clearly in our customer or user interactions that it's us who might be wrong, so that they can give us feedback specific to our ideas rather than fearing we might internalize that to our person. Building trust. I've noticed a great link between time, face time, and losing face. Here we often prize time. We'll say, thank you for your time, or let me get back to your day. We're very efficient, and we try to use time conservatively and preserve it. Whereas in many cultures, time is how we extend an olive branch. We say, I enjoy spending time with you. I see value in spending time with you. 
and that FaceTime is used to build trust. Losing face is the concept of withholding or changing the way or to whom you give feedback, depending on conceptions of hierarchy. And these three things work together. So if we can figure out how time is prized within the environment we're working in, we can start to build trust with more, uh, more replicability and, and reliability. My strategy is to immerse ourselves in local conceptions of value. So learning how time is used to build trust, but to also establish a willingness to do work in new environments. One trick that I, I usually do is when I'm in a new airport, I go to the bookstore and I look in the business section. And you can usually tell by the best sellers what themes are really important in that business environment. You may see a lot about efficiency. In China and Hong Kong, I've seen a lot recently about replication and scale. And understanding these trends and how those are valued within a local working environment can show that we're willing to do work there and we're not relying on simplistic cultural stereotypes, but we're actually willing to scratch a bit below the surface. Reaching our customer. When we leave our home business environments, how and where our customers have fa are found can vary greatly. This can mean anything from a cash versus card economy. It could also mean that the means of distribution is totally different. Uh, I work a lot with resellers and distributors because uh, in many economies it's hard to sell directly. Um, for us that means our customers have trust relationships and we're better served by working within those. So we do a lot of resale and distribution to leverage that. My strategy is to start customer development within these local trust channels to create space to iterate. So space to iterate can, just means doing something that, that fits within a cultural paradigm. So for example, uh, Uber, as we all know, is outside of the local, uh, or of any, uh, traditional taxi distribution system. That's their competitive advantage and a very deliberate choice. But they've also started accepting cash in some economies because it's helped them reach customers. And by allowing for that sort of trust-based transaction with cash, they've been able to increase adoption. It's the same with e-commerce in India. The predominance of transactions are cash on arrival. And this sounds surprising, but actually by using uh, a trusted transaction mechanism, we can reach customers more in ways they're comfortable with and create space to further iterate within our businesses. In conclusion, I believe that we can solve bigger problems faster by adapting our methods as we move between markets and cultures. I don't think it's any surprise that we see a lot of people solving the same problems for the same people using the same methods. I'm currently based here in San Francisco and I think I can name five wash and fold services that I can access via an app from my phone. And nothing against those companies, but I think there are many more meaningful problems and for more people. I think we need to bring some rigor to adapting our methods and creating new ones so that we can solve more complex problems, serving more people worldwide. And that we can use cultural insights to adapt lean. Thank you very much.